It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosey. The show is available as a podcast, and it's also available on iTunes. And joining me in studio, the best-dressed member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association. You can see him Friday mornings on Indie Style, and, and I tell you, I'm not kidding, and he has the second-best facial hair. Okay, uh, third because ed, ed i was gonna say i was gonna say i'm definitely i'm, I'm below ed you're, yeah you're <laughs> phrasing anyway christopher lloyd is here how are you friend good to be here and don't forget the film yap yes the film yap which we'll we'll get we'll talk about some yapping stuff in a little bit yeah i'm sorry folks you missed the scintillating warm-up we did before this about shopping and facial hair and you're just gonna have to save it for the for the special stuff so we are in the midst of grown-up movie season and as members of the ifja screening season and uh you know so if you haven't been seeing us at theaters as much we've been watching films at home for award consideration and uh we got well two films that might be discussed and one that's just well they just got to get it out there but i guess we'll start with the <laughs> probably the most talked about at least in our circles is the new film from writer director and fashion designer tom ford who surprised a lot of people with his academy award nominated a single man with yeah. colin firth and julianne moore that that was a film that uh, made it very t a very tense long day in the life of a closeted gay man who is about to kill himself and he uh i think he kind of outdoes himself in the tense department with nocturne animals right uh, right Chris yeah it's definitely interesting you know literally you know the guy who is a fashion fellow that's what he did his his, his he came up in the fashion and photography and all that kind of and, stuff and apparently when you're on CBS Sunday morning don't ask about it yeah uh, and so now he's decided to reinvent himself as a film director and you know based on the first one I thought you know that was an, it was an interesting well-done film Here's his, uh, is it his sophomore effort? This is or his, his sophomore yeah. effort, a cinematic puzzle piece, uh, if yeah. there ever was one. You know, very narratively sort of, you know, uh, complex. Well, not, not that complex, but just, you know, has an additional layer. It has, you know, the story within the story. The basic setup is that Amy Adams is a middle-aged, very well-to-do um, art gallery director, and she has had a husband, but they divorced many, many years ago. By the way, you said middle aged Amy Adams, and we just got older. Well, I think the characters, the characters, Correct. I think are supposed to be pitched more like fifty ish, as opposed to whatever. And we Amy should look Adams that actual age is. We yeah. should look that great when we're fifty. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, so she receives this um, draft of a novel from her ex husband, which he asks her to read and then meet him to talk about it. 
and um, it's very violent. This violent story, um, uh, and she thinks it's kind of either inspired by her or directed at her, and she doesn't. You know, on some level, she's scared. On some level, she's intrigued. Her current marriage is is sort of trumbling to a to its bitter end, and so she's wondering, you know, if she should have stayed with that guy who was the wild romantic who couldn't provide her a good, stable living. And that's also besides. So you have, I think, you have the three storylines. You have Amy Adams, who, uh, quite honestly, doesn't have a whole lot to do. In she this is li- film. literally reading a book for most of the movie, right? And it doesn't help matters that she had a really superior performance about a month ago in Arrival. Yeah, but, agree. So there's there's the Amy Adams part with yeah, as you mentioned, her soon to be ex husband played by Army Hammer, and then there's the book part, which is really really tense. And we'll get to that in a sec. And then flashbacks of meeting young Jake Gyllenhaal and dealing with her mother played by Laura Linney. I love cinema gene pools. Yeah. So there's there's those three stories. The main part of it is the book. And it starts with a uh, a blown tire on a Texas highway, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. I finally committed his name. Sorry for calling you kick ass all these years, but uh, oh, that was Aaron. That, Aaron I had no idea that was Aaron, Aaron Taylor. Pretty good, pretty good yeah. performance, huh? Uh, wow. but, but really, the, really creepy guy. The rare British actor who can do a spot on American accent. Do you have a list? There's. It's a pretty small list. I'm great ones like you know Anthony Hopkins and. Uh, uh, Kate Winslet have you know, uh, <laughs> not done so well with it? But yeah, that was Aaron Taylor Johnson, and yeah. it's, there's a really long sequence on the highway. Yeah, and so the conceit Gyllenhaal. here is that so Jake Gyllenhaal plays the um, ex-husband. We don't ever actually see him in the modern context, only in the flashbacks of them, you know, dating back in college or whatever. But so within the story, within the story, you know, the novel that his character has, has written, he plays the main character in that. And a really fun piece of stunt casting in the novel, as she's reading it, the redheaded wife is played by Isla Fisher, who everybody, a lot, the mall crowd often confuse Amy Adams with Isla Fisher. And yeah. they probably they probably got similar offers for yeah. movies over the years. And so the story within the story is that their family, you know, husband, wife, and their, like, teenage daughter driving down the road, middle of Texas, in his classic Mercedes car. I knew. Also, cinematic car correspondent Chris Lloyd over here. Yes, because, you know, if you really need a 1978 Mercedes sedan, people sedan, people just <laughs> lust after those. Uh, but uh, they're driving along, and uh, they get run off by the road. Like, it, it, it was that, and I, that whole that initial sequence where they're you know they're having the encounters very tense, really, and goes on out. for quite a while. Yeah, because I mean, probably if you've you know driven any amount in your life, that something that's happened to you, you you get into sort of a bit of a road rage situation with somebody who's you think is just nuts, and you're just trying to get away from them. And this, and this is sort of taking it to the next level where they actually get forced off the road and have an encounter. And I won't say any more than that, but people they do this thing where um, people call it different things, but basically what it is is someone drives in front of you, gets in front of you, and then slams their brake on trying to make you hit them. Yep. Um, that way you pull off, you have to ex- try to exchange information. Right, and ostensibly it's your fault because, you know, whenever someone gets rear-ended, usually people say, well, obviously you should have stopped in time or been, not been following too closely. So this is sort of like takes that premise and goes on from there, and these three uh, West Texas banditos that they run into. <laughs> or, or, I'm sorry, bad hombres. Bad hombres. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, amongst our group in IFJA, this film is getting a lot of hate. Um, Evan Dossey has a review up yes, on the he, film. Yeah, yes, he does. He gets it two out of five yabs. Yeah, really has not much good to say about it. But his new wife um, actually liked it a lot more than it. And I'm, I'm kind of more on her side. I, I, I think the film kind of fails at the conceptual level. 
this whole thing with the the different stylized and, and, and you know and it's definitely way over stylized it's it's a fashion guy you know someone needs to reel him back and be like okay you don't need to do all these fancy shots and lighting with every single thing just let the story play out yeah there's but there's pieces of it to like um Aaron Taylor Johnson as you mentioned and also Michael Shannon playing a Texas so police good. detective <laughs> and and it seems like Mr. Shannon's thinner than we're used to he's, because he's, he's really he's gotten thinner over the last because few years. there is very... this and he had a really nice like one scene in loving which uh you can read in in nouveau that Ed johnson out wrote about and, and that and came complete out unknown with rachel weiss from a few months ago right and uh anyways but yeah he's a yeah he plays a sh- uh, police officer which again we don't want to give away too much but it was but, assigned to the case but it's kind of one of those of what happened if on the michael road. if michael shannon shows up the film can't be a complete and utter waste, and yes, we're even looking at Man of Steel. Yeah, I like Michael Shannon because he's he's. I was just discussing with somebody the other day about um, new video this week, The Hollers, um, which is just kind of predictable, but has Margot Martindale and Richard Jenkins in. And I said I commented that those people fall into that very rare category of actors that I refer to as I would pay them to hear them read my medicine bottles because they could make it interesting. And I think I think Michael Shannon is a obviously much younger. But he falls in that category in that he's such a chameleon, you know, he's so distinctive looking and yet his characters always, you know, the, you can't take from movie from one movie to another to another and be like, oh, he's always playing the same guy. He's, he really is kind of Correct. an inheritor of that Robert Duvall tradition of disappearing into the character. Yeah, I think the, I liked I liked the film more than some of the hate. I didn't love it as much as and I, I actually liked the single man, even though I wanted to like single man. I too. wanted a pint of ice cream and curl up in a fetal position after watching it. But but there's yeah, it's it's this is an uneven film. Like I said, the Amy you know, Amy Adams has very little to do, which is really a shame. You have Michael Shannon has one scene, has nothing to do. Um, Laura Lynn has one scene, one scene, not, great, not right? a whole. Yeah, she's. Yeah, I wish there was kind of more of that. Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, carries a lot of the work on this, and he's fine. Uh, but yeah, the 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 book portion is probably the most exciting and the most interesting. And Michael Shannon, I think, is also very solid. And without giving away, and again, well, I, I would just say to pause. I don't. It's not a spoiler, but just hold for a second. The ending is is what I would call a kind of a cinematic middle finger. Yeah, and and that's just leaving it's very European. And I think the, if if you're going in expecting just an erotic thriller, you're going to be really disappointed. And I think a lot of the mall crowd, and yeah, that's with lowercase letters, are going to be really ticked off with the ending of this film. I wonder how the mall crowd um, will react to the the opening of the film over the credits. I, I want to know what your opinion is. Ah. I, I, I admit I did not quite know how to take it. It seemed Once, very. Ken artsy Ru- for its own sake. You know what I thought of? It was like Ken Russell had directed it. Yeah. And then there's, well, there is a, it's a, it's an art event. It's an art exhibit. Taking place at Amy Adams. She's the art director of this and, gallery. And part of the art exhibit is, involves full, beyond full, large women naked, gyrating. Dancing. Um, and then, so the idea is that their dancing is projected on these large screens on the gallery wall. And in the meantime, the actual women are posed face down on tables, right. like seemingly dead or unconscious. 
Uh, so I, you know what, I think not just because the ending isn't a dead game. I think if you're going in just expecting Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal to look pretty and do an, an erotic thriller, this is not that film. And I think what Mr. Ford is doing is right out of the gate making making your butt pucker. And uh, <laughs> he's trying to make us uncomfortable. I think he's trying to make us uncomfortable, and and it works to a certain degree. But I think, yeah, as you said, there could be a little. You could rein it in a little bit, and not necessarily about length. I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't. It's not a particularly long movie. It's, not, it's just it's, under you know, two hours. It, you, you often hear us say it could have been twenty minutes shorter, and I don't think it's that. But I think uh, a buddy I, of mine from Georgia, a fellow film critic, Jeff Marker, I think he said there, there's no, there are no moments to breathe. There's no moments to exhale in this film. And I think if you want a good thriller, you have to have those moments of exhaling. Yeah. Um, honestly, you know, my my general take on it is the you could just strip out all of the frame with Amy Adams and uh, Army Hammer. And just do the part, you know, take the story of the book and let it play out, and you'd have a really nice, like, 79-minute thriller. And and we need more 79-minute thrillers. Actually, we need more 79-minute films, but that's another chat for yeah. another time. So, yeah, it's it's not perfect, but I think it's watchable. I think it's watchable. All right. Also in theaters, Miss um, Sloan, which um, it's not equity, or is it equity with Jessica Chastain? Um, film, or, or, film, the film Equity that came out a few months which, ago, which has been, which film. was kind of considered a female Wall Street because yeah. it's it is the corporate world. Um, only it's most of the main characters are female, and they don't really play the women card until a couple of moments. And in this one, it, it's it the, on paper it looks like a serious version of Thank You for Smoking because yeah. Jessica Chastain plays the lobbyist. Chris, your thoughts on this and and about the film. I liked it. Um, not a great film. Jessica Chastain will probably get some attention during the awards season because she's Jessica Chastain. She's always great and everything. And it's a really strong, meaty role. Um, but what's the rest of the film about? Yeah, I mean, the, the way I put it to somebody was it sort of plays out like a very long and very well done episode of West Wing. Um, it's all about the corridors of power. And, and it's walking about, and talking. Yeah, it's about you know manipulation of the media. And it's sort of like, you know... Like everything that you know, people bad have say about our political system, the rot of our political system sort of amped up to the nth degree, and played out in that. Like, what's interesting though is is about it's about um, somewhat about the gun debate, gun rights, and uh, gun control. But it's really not about those things. It's just sort of that's the backdrop. The, the setup is that she's basically the best lobbyist in Washington D.C. She refers to herself as a conviction lobbyist, which meaning she only advocates for causes that she personally believes in. So the uh, the big honchos of the firm, uh, Sam Watterson plays the patriarchal figure there, bring in the gun lobby. It's obviously supposed to be like the NRA, but they don't say that. It's just the gun lobby. They've been trying to land them for years. Or as we like to call it, so not the NRA. Right, so not the NRA. And they're trying to – a new bill uh, is with gun control bill is be coming up for a vote. And they want her to spearhead it to kill it, um, and she literally laughs in the guy's face. Proper use of literally, because yeah, like here was a problem I had with the film was the reason that she laughs in her face is because they pitch it to her as we want you to sell this, we want you to to sell this to women, um, and her idea is like, well, women don't don't care about that. It's like, well, if you actually listen to the real gun lobby, the fastest growing segment of gun buyers is women. So you know, it's like they're 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 presenting as absurd this thing is act, that's actually happening out in real life. So I was like, yeah, that didn't play out so well. So, but it's really not about the politics. It's about the game and playing the game, and you know, 
her playing this multi-level chess match um, you know, against Big opponents. Bang theory reference. Yes, in <laughs> some levels against opponents who don't even know they're playing with her or they think they're playing one game and she's playing a different game. And you've got uh, Gugu Mbathe Raw is in there as kind of like her protege. Um, Allison Pill, I think, is also in it. Yep. Mark Strong plays her boss who's just sort of, you know, just trying to control this vortex of energy. English and, or American? Yeah. Oh, no, he plays American. Another good accent. And uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, I think, has, oh, cool. other, other than her, the meatiest role as her former partner at her old firm and now their opponents going up in this big gun lobby fight. It's well done. It's sort of just a slick, um, you know, political thriller, um, the sort of thing you enjoy and then, you know, set aside. Okay. And then also opening... Office Christmas Party, which apparently, <laughs> apparently, well, the guys, like, it was the guys, it's the, the two duo director who did Twenty One and Over. So apparently, all they can make is are party films. Yeah. Um, but I, I was talking with a couple of five, and this is Jennifer Aniston, Jason Bateman, Kate McKinnon, uh, Olivia Cor- Munn, Olivia Munn, Courtney B. Vance, T.J. Miller, T.J. Miller, who, well, hey, guest host of the uh, People's Choice Critics Choice Awards, and not a fan of and and Uber's ten most wanted list apparently, um, <laughs> but but it. It it seems like it's a throwback to the old raunchy R-rated comedies like Bachelor Party, like Revenge of the Nerds, Risky Business, Risky Business. But but it helps that you have actors with chops. Yeah, it's 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 kind of dumb. Um, and the first the first thirty to forty five minutes of it really takes a long time to get rolling. The conceit here is that they're at this big company. Jennifer Aniston is the nasty CEO who wants to close down the branch. T. Like J- nastier than horrible bosses, nasty Jennifer Aniston. Very nasty. Uh, and T.J. Miller plays like the slacker boss of the thing. Um, Jason Bateman is his right-hand man who actually runs the place. And, they're, you know, they're not failing. They're doing well, but not doing well enough in the corporate world, and she wants to close them down. So they're trying to land this big account. Um, uh and I'm trying to remember the name of the actor who plays him, but I'm Courtney B. Vance. Thank you. Yes. Um, and they're trying to land his business to be like millions of dollars, and they would be able to keep their thing open. And in using the logic that only appears in the movies, <laughs> they're going to achieve this by throwing the most killer party ever, <laughs> because people totally want to do business with you when there's Wait, like nudity and sex happening in the middle of your office. Wasn't this party already run by Vince Vaughn and Tom Wilkinson? But that's I think that's another movie for another time. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Um, God, the office party genre. That's a that's a well. If there were video stores, that would have its own shelf. Yeah, my I had a weird reaction to this movie, which was that I thought most of the like top level narrative with the the, the big stars that we were talking about kind of was just throwaway to me. Um, whereas they had all sorts of things with um, supporting actors and supporting little bits that I really really enjoyed uh, to the point where you know I, I was like I I just wish that. Uh, uh, they could have made the movie about those minor characters. Like they have, they have the scene referencing Uber. A couple scenes where we had this um, uh, comedian. I'm forgetting her name. It's in my review. If you want to go look at it on the film app, um, where she plays an Uber driver on her very first day on the job, oh, uh, driving Jennifer Aniston around, and she hasn't quite figured out the proper level of chatter that you're supposed to have with your fares. Yes, and she's just throwing off one killer, you know, throwaway line after another, and I and she does it with such brash confidence i just loved her to the point where i literally wished that she could have dropped jennifer aniston off and then movie followed her for the rest of the way because you know the main storyline kind of you know 
it all builds up to the big party, and it's fun. There's craziness, and there's sex and drugs and all the stuff we expect. And but. no rock and roll. But I think you, your your film idea would be Chicago Uber, which has <laughs> a, well, that was a play and then a film. But anyway, well, and you know this is going to be a DVD and Blu-ray. That's going to be there's going to be like two hours of yeah of of the deleted ver- scenes. The unrated version. Yeah, the unrated version, deleted scenes, and there will be like like forty five minutes of Uber riffing. They'll just have that. It's like it's like an Anchorman disc. You're just gonna get a lot there. So yeah. So all right. From from a new movie standpoint, it looks like you you, you know whether you're into uh, highbrow stuff or lowbrow stuff, you're you're in good you're in good hands this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely adult movie weekend. There, there's nothing grown up for, grown up movie weekend. Don't there, say adult movie weekend. There's nothing for the kiddies this weekend. Although well, that's for next week with Sing coming out. Sing is coming out, and Moana is still. How many times have you had to sit through Moana? Uh, actually, just uh, once, uh, I've managed to like turn it on and leave the room. My kids have probably watched it about three or four times since. Mr. Lloyd got a screener, folks. Don't don't and don't hate him. It just it's part of the business. Part of the business. But I I was like I, uh, Thanksgiving. My family and I were in Las Vegas, and uh, we went to. It was the day after Vegas, or day after Thanksgiving, I should say. And originally, we were going to try to get uh, Emma, who's fifteen. Yeah, you know, we were going to try to get her tickets to Cirque du Soleil, you know, one of the Cirques or Blue Man Group, and they were all sold out. So we decided to go to Moana, and what was funny was we go to a seven o'clock screening on a Friday night. It's in a little, you know, it's in a nine screen multiplex right off the Strip, and there's twelve people, including kids. Yeah. On Moana's opening weekend. We're also in a place that's probably, if you're on the Strip in Las Vegas, going to a movie is not even in your top twenty. For choices of things to do, but we wound up doing that. So, yeah. by the way, I looked it up. Um, yeah. The name of that comedian in uh, Office Christmas Party is Fortune Feimster. Um, I think she won one of those like comedy contestant shows a few years ago. She's really great in it. Cool. So there will be forty-five minutes of her riffing on the Blu-ray when you get it. So. <laughs> All right. So, folks, that's that's kind of that's that's the new stuff that's out there. And there's again, there's still plenty of good stuff uh, out there. I know Arrival is still there. Um, Loving. I know La La Land is coming up next week and Sing. So we we are in comfortable waters when it comes to to quality films. Definitely, uh, and it's just going to get better over the next few weeks. Right, and uh, and we we the IFJA is meeting next week at an undisclosed location. You can't come. Sorry, you can't. You know, if you sponsor it, maybe you can film it, but no, you can't do that next. Unless week. you bring beer, then maybe we'll let you come. I have to work on Saturdays. No. Um. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit, and uh, oh, I should mention this weekend. At the Art Craft Theater in Franklin, the Historic Art Craft Theater, and of course, this all depends on when you're listening to the show. But uh, in in the in the afternoon and in the evening, they're showing it's a Wonderful Life, and I think that's a great place to see it. I know there are you can watch it on TV yesterday. I think network TV. I think NBC still plays it once a year, yeah. and you can rent it and you can download it and and uh, all that. And I think Fathom probably showed it sometime, but but the fact that it's being shown at an old school movie theater, that's a special event. Now, if they'd mark the popcorn down to a dime, that would be even better, but you can't have everything. So. Yeah, and that's a great theater if you've ever, ever been there. Um, my favorite piece of trivia about it is it has a working swamp cooler to cool the place in the summer. Theater history guy right here, yeah. like that. So, all right. Uh, shifting gears, we're going to go to uh, what's new on DVD and Blu-ray. By the way, we have lots of dead people we like. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, so I, I saw an article about apparently there's 27 films, animated films, that are jockeying for uh, Academy Award recognition. And I know one that 
might be in the top ten. Don't know if it's going to be in the top five, but Secret Lives of Pets is out on D. If you could not hear that, Chris Lloyd rolled his eyes my kids, at the title of that. My kids love that movie. Love it. Because it's cute little critters and there's gastrointestinal humor is and it, all sorts of hijinks. And you just, you know, it's 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 a great movie for video. And you've seen it how many times? No, just the okay. one time in theater. This is totally, this is a great thing for you. Set the kids up with their popcorn or their snacks or whatever. Start the movie and you've got an hour and a half to go in the next room and do whatever. Better than Trolls? Uh, no, I like Trolls better. I My buddy Jeff Marker <laughs> sent me a note <laughs> this week. He goes, I'm 30 minutes in. Does it get better? <laughs> and I just wrote, there's more singing of pop songs. I like. And one line Curtis Stone, ca- Chef Curtis Stone cameo, parentheses, I'm not making this up. Yeah. I actually like Sing better. That's a little early, early review, but I liked it better than any of those other ones we, we just talked about or as uh, our, our friend and compatriot Nick Rogers called it Zootopia's Got Talent yeah I, I, that was really good so way to go Nick that's good snark there um, anyway Secret Lives of Pets is out um, Jason Bourne now Matt Damon's back on it and of course this this coincides apparently with the release of the Jason Bourne collection you can get all five yes even the one with Jeremy Renner so um, who else asked for this besides Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass yeah, I, I I don't know. I think they both had a couple of flops within the last few years, and you know they're sort of going home to mama and, uh, and you know, tearing I, up. It's not, it's not bad for my money. The first one is by still by far still the best one, um, best directed, best everything. It I'm just, Paul Greengrass just frustrates me because I you know I think he made two of the finer political dramas. Well, really one player. He he made Bloody Sunday. And he made United 93. I remember you know, I, I said United 93 was the best film of the year. And yet I need Dramamine to watch everything else he works on. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I, even Green Zone, which is not the most exciting film in the world, also made me a little seasick. So anyway, that's out there. Um, don't Think Twice, the second film from Mike Birbiglia with a lot of talented improv folks doing improv things. Yeah, and really his first true true narrative film. His first one was kind of like an adapt an adaptation of a uh, stand-up thing routine that he'd done for years, correct? Um, which I, I love Birbiglia stuff. I mean, to me, he's really not a stand-up comedian. I would call him a storyteller. Yeah, he's a, a comedic f- scor- storyteller who um, just happens to get booked at Crackers and other places like yeah. that. But, so he, but he, he's he, actually bigger. He, now. he does like long-form comedy. He, he's not like a set-up punchline, you know, kind of guy. Uh, and his stuff is always like very smart and funny, and makes you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. And just a moderately amount sad, um, like this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, I I definitely enjoyed it. Okay, and a new we we mentioned actually you mentioned it earlier, and uh, I I I there there was a period where I kind of grew tired of the I call them loser goes home films. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth Town and uh, God there was one with Casey Affleck, but but there is one directed by but, John Krasinski. What was the female one written by Diablo Cody from the last? Oh, couple Young years? Adult. Yeah, I actually kind of like Young Adult. It, it helped that Diablo Cody wrote it, and Charlize Theron had it, a really nasty performance. But in it. it's not just losers; it's 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 the wayward son or daughter right. goes home and has to you know get reinserted in all of the family drama and stuff. And John Krasinski has starred and directed in this in the Hollers, and again, I love seeing the. Cinematic gene pools, ladies and gentlemen, if you have Richard Jenkins and Margot Martindale, you get to create John Krasinski and Charlotte Copley. Yes. That's, and Anna Kendrick? 
was she's was his sister or girl girlfriend no, yeah so way to go john uh but yeah it is uh you know krasinski comes home mom's ill mom doesn't want her head shaved because she'll look like ernest borgnine which i thought was a no it great was great line no it was uh it wasn't ernest oh. borgnine it was um uh in the heat of the night Rod Steiger. Rod, Rod Steiger. Oh, that's good. Which yeah. I thought, which I thought was a great that's reference. Really, that is a great reference. With her hair shaved, she does actually kind of look like him. <laughs> but it, but yeah, mom's mom's sick. Dad doesn't know what to do. Uh, brothers screw up. And and anyway, it, it's it's a storyline we've seen before, and it's plot points with these storylines: the reunion, the the animosity amongst the family, and then the old girlfriend yeah, with the Mary girl- Elizabeth Winstead. Oh yeah, and so so all of this is very familiar. Charlie Day, but or- it's yes, as the male. But it's done really well. Yeah, uh, a movie with zero surprises, but the cast makes it well worth it, and the script is well done. It's got a lot of great one-liners in it. As I put it, it's a great big warm, wet hug of a movie. There you go. Okay, a few old titles. Um, it is Chris. Well, Christmas time is coming. By the way, my birthday is the nineteenth. So if you <laughs> want to get me the Mad Max High Octane Collection, please do so. This is all of the Mad Max films, including, and I, I didn't realize this until. About six months ago, but apparently George Miller wanted to do uh, Fury Road in black and white. Oh, wow. And there is a black and white version of Fury Road as a part of this. Wow. I know. Big big cojones for, for Mr. Miller. I, so. I don't see how it's working because the color palette was so vivid in that. I, I don't know. I, that I, well, I ver- you, you might want to verify this. Yes, we're actually we're actually asking you to verify stuff that's said on, online. <laughs> Crazy. Um, as we mentioned already, the Jason Bourne collection. So if you need all of them in a little package, um, there have been a couple of smaller uh, movie video distribution companies that will reissue older titles. And I'm not I'm not going to name names. And honestly, because I, I can't remember. But for instance, I uh, about earlier this year, I found a Blu-ray of the Pam Greer movie Sheba Baby. Mm. Which is, you know, it's pretty good. And I know I, I have the MGM Soul Cinema copy. I used to have it on DVD. Well, this Blu-ray has two commentaries on it. Because there's always going to be somebody that can do a commentary about the history of a, of a particular film. And there's two films that came out in the early 70s that uh, are getting the Blu-ray treatment. And are getting, it could be a film historian, could be a guy in a basement, could be both. I don't care. But it's the two early Bruce Lee films before Enter the Dragon. Uh, the Chinese Connection, a.k.a. The Big Boss, and Fist of Fury. And uh, they're not, from a from a budget and production standpoint, not nearly as big and bold as Enter the Dragon, which is, of course, the, the Citizen Kane of, of martial arts cinema. But but they're two very fascinating, fun films to watch. I remember going to see this uh, these two films on a double feature with my dad in the early 80s. Um, Anyway, those those are out there on Blu-ray if you want to check those out. Can I make a personally embarrassing confession? You've, you've never no. seen Enter the Dragon. Never seen Enter the Dragon. Wow, we need to fix that. I do. I, I, people don't like. How can you like, dude? I've seen thousands of yes. movies, but there's always going to be holes. There, exactly. Another it's, one um, that I will bring, well, I've mentioned, Dirty Dancing before. Never seen Dirty Dancing. That's okay. Um, <laughs> one that came up this week because one of the actresses in it died. At Major League. Never, uh, we're never gonna, seen Major League. Really? Not nope. to, wow. Just the first. You really don't need anything else. Um, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I think we went through this list. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we give the aura that we've seen everything. We haven't. It happens. It's it's tough for me because, you know, I'm seeing so many new movies a year 
Um, yeah. And then um, I do the classic film calling, reeling backward. And I, I mainly do that just because it, it, it forces me to see at least 26 old movies that I haven't seen before every year. I do it every other week. Um, it's kind of his version of get off my back, folks. Yeah. Like, well, I remember when I was in my 20s and, you know, even early 30s before, you know, relationships and married. Like, you know, a big thing with people like up is re- us is rewatching old movies. Yeah. Um, and finding new, new stuff to think and, and do like that. And I just don't I don't. Uh, I don't watch films purely for pleasure much anymore. It's I just don't have the time to say, I'm just going to grab Blade Runner off my shelf and stick it in and watch it. I don't have time. Well, it comes down to a choice of, well, I can do that, or I can watch another screener for uh, all these awards hopefuls that are coming out this year, and that always wins. Oh, yeah. Because, um, yeah, right now everything is on deadlock because of screener of, of awards season. Um, there are moments where, and, and here's the advice is, um, you, sometimes you gotta let the kids pick, and yep. so so with a fifteen year old, um, you, there's a there's a you know a myriad of titles I want to share with my child, and she can watch pretty much everything at and, this point. Yeah, so and she'll she'll pick stuff out there. I've had I've had screenings at my house with friends, like a buddy. You know, Emma's first Hitchcock film was Rear Window, because a buddy of mine who uh, he comes over and watches movies quite often. He had never seen it. Emma had never seen it. I got it on Blu-ray. And I went, all right, here we go. So anyway, little moments like so yeah, it takes a while to organize and get together and And when your kids get older that it makes it a lot easier. Like my like Joel, somehow Joel who's six has acquired a knowledge of the movie Jaws. He's aware of it its of its existence. I have no idea how or why. I've never showed it to him or even seen like he's never even seen the DVD or anything like that. But he wants to watch it. And I and I just keep telling him you're not you're not ready. Yeah, yet. I was. I was five and saw it in the theater. I was. I was five when it came yep. out, and I had nightmares for years. Um, Emma saw it two years ago in the daytime, and and as I affectionately call her, the little hipster. Um, her response was, "It was okay. I could see how that would have scared you when you were five. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, kid." The yeah. So. And teenage condescension. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, all right, okay, I'm gonna remember that one. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it, it, that that day will come. It'll be fine. But yeah, I would I would definitely say when when they want to watch scary movies, start with the daytime, and and be prepared for them to crawl in. Yeah, at, in the middle of the night. So all right, a couple other older titles on Blu-ray, and and every now and then I always think I, I thought this was already out on Blu-ray or they're just re-releasing it because it's an anniversary. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, yeah. the film that introduced the world to Michael Rooker, and we're all kind of better for it. Yeah, and everything. It's it is a really disturbing film about the title character and the fact that there's somebody in the film that's worse than he is. And again, my, is it? It was the introduction to Michael Rooker and everything I have heard about people who have encountered him at conventions that he is an amazingly sweet guy. So, wow. so there is that from uh, Chicago director John McNaughton. Some, sometimes you just have that look where you're always going to play villains. And uh, you know what? You're you're still working, so that's that's not bad. So, but that's why it's. I think it's fun when he gets to do a comedy. He gets to do something like Guardians of the Galaxy and and other pictures like that. Um, and then there are those films that you don't get the original as a collection. You get the sequels. Like, does anybody really need Porky's Two and Porky's Revenge on Blu-ray, except for the actors? That's out there now. Wasn't there one of those that was actually like rated PG thirteen? 
Oh, I'm, I'm trying no. to remember. No, not no. no, I don't think this. Not the Porky. Series. I do remember the second one was much tamer they did, than no, the first well, one. No, well, they did release a PG version okay. in theaters. Okay, just like um, and I I never saw that version. I saw the R. I do remember seeing the R and the PG version of Saturday Night Fever in theaters. Yes, and I think they also did that with Animal House. So. Um, and I was like, if I remember, I don't think they pixelated anything. They just kind of, and I remember there's there's a great scene in uh, Saturday Night Fever about halfway through the film where the guys, the, the, the disco knuckleheads like to jump around on the Brooklyn Bridge, and they fake a fall. And I remember Donna Pascal you know, screaming and running to the edge and realize it. then she realizes that they're on a lower level looking up and and she screams in the pg version you fakers <laughs> something as subtle as that folks so anyway that's that's out on on blu-ray um all right i want to get to some dead people we like as ed uh, as chris affectionately called them because we never have time for dead people we don't like and we had quite a bit we had quite a bit and, and on top of that i feel bad i left somebody out that i really wanted to acknowledge and it was actress lupita tovar who was a as listed in uh Newswire, Mexican star of Hollywood's golden age. She lived to be 106, but she is best known for being in the Spanish language version of Dracula. Hmm. Now, a little little background. Um, While they were filming the original Dracula, the universal one that we all know with Bela Lugosi, um, when that English, when that version was done wrapping for the day, when they were done shooting, a new movie crew would come in and film the exact same film in Spanish with a Spanish language crew, cast and crew. So, and if you go, if you get any of the Dracula box sets on DVD and Blu-ray, it's on there. It's really solid. Some some would even say it's even scarier than the English language version. That's actually a pretty brilliant thing to do. It's a really it's like sc- you've got the sets, you've got the script, you got everything. You just make an extra set of costumes and. Exactly. It's pretty smart. It's right up it's right up there with, you know, Hammer Horror shooting the same all those Christopher Lee movies in the same damn castle. So that is out there. Um Alice actress Alice Drummond, best known, I think, probably as the librarian in Ghostbusters. She was also one of the patients in Awakenings. Oh wow. Um also Sister Veronica in the film version of Doubt and apparently had a foul mouth yeah, she did have a foul mouth insult at Dan Marino in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> But she was 88, um, and it was going back. Let's see. It, uh, by the way, pulling out a paper online. It's like it's like Jim Rome. Um, <laughs> she was in films like the film version of The Honeymooners, uh, Pieces of April, Joe Gould's Secret, uh, The Love Letter. In, she was Aunt Susan in In and Out. Um, IQ. She was the grandmother in Jeffrey, which I actually watched with my daughter a while back. As I mentioned, Awakenings, Running on Empty, Funny Farm, House on Carroll Street, as I mentioned, The Librarian and Ghostbusters, Eyewitness, King of the Gypsies, Thieves, Man on a Swing, Woman in Elevator, and Where's Papa from 1970. So one of those working actresses that we like. Um, English actor Peter Vaughn, probably best known for the uh, recently for the uh, Game of Thrones, but uh, lived to be 93. And, uh, gosh, lots of stuff. The the original Death at a Funeral, um, The Mother, um, An Ideal Husband, Legend of 1900s. He was the Bishop in Les Mis, not the musical. The Billy August film with no French actors in it. Liam Neeson, Jeffrey Rush, Claire Danes, Uma Thurman. Um, 
1996 film of The Crucible, he was Giles Corey. The Secret Agent, um, Remains of the Day, he was William Stevens. And again, if you look up, he's he's one of those guys. You've seen him in in something going all the way back to the early, uh, the mid fifties, but films in the like the Thirty Nine Steps and Sapphire. So and the also the original late fifties Village of the Damned. Hopefully, we can also mention um, a person we like who is not dead but turning one hundred. One hundred years old, Kirk, Kirk Douglas. Douglas, who by the way right <laughs> now is hitting on our wives. <laughs> Kirk, yeah, I, I, by the way, I'm glad you brought that. I was eventually going to get to it, but yeah, let's we'll take a break from the dead folks. Um, the, the, you know, Kirk, we can go through his entire career from champion, the Spartacus, to creating Michael, and you know, and, and you know, still working even after having a helicopter accident and a stroke. And uh, but but the thing that just kind of summed, and he was he was a bit of a ladies man, obviously. But but I always remember the last time he was at the Academy Awards, and he was being escorted by uh, by Anne Hathaway, and and he's hitting on her on st- in front of a billion people. And I remember Melissa Leo won for best supporting actress for The Fighter, and I, I was waiting for him to while she was giving her speech, I was waiting for him to kind of crawl over and go, "What are you doing later?" I mean, he was, he's just that kind of guy, and he lived to be 100. Yeah, you know, one of the last of the, the, the golden age of big stars still alive. You know, also really notable, really one of the first actors coming out of that golden age who went into producing in a really big way and became, you know, quite well regarded as a producer. Um, you know, really sort of, you know, sort of the, the creative people, the actors trying to wrest some of that power away from the studios yep. and say, like, hey, we want to make our own projects and do our own things. And also, um, as uh, on a side note, was uh, help bring back uh, Dalton Trumbo into into the cinema world. And of course, this is also brought up in the uh, the film with Brian Cranston from last year. Trumbo, yeah. And and a guy playing Douglas is great because he's got the get the the perfect hair and the perfect body and the perfect tight pants and clothes and slopey slopey nose. Yep, yeah, and almost standing like like uh, like Yul Brenner and the King and I. Just yeah, fist on sides. Just anyway, but yeah, he he was uh, a kind of. Of a reno- uh, revolutionary when it came to that stuff in the in the movie world. Yeah, also a progenitor of the modern uh, male movie star. Uh, uh, a thing that often is is not a very big person. Uh, it's people often. I think surprised. he's just fine. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's true. Like people are always surprised when they meet a lot of actors and like, oh, I thought he was like six foot tall. And right, he's... but it's it's presence, it's confidence, and and again, and, if he... and low low camera angles and low camera angles, and, ask Alan and, Ladd and boxes and short extras, and short, right? Short, and if, or at the very least, he'll just pick up Burt Lancaster by the ankles and just bludgeon you to yes. death. Yes, he would have. Or even better, he would have climbed on Lancaster's shoulders and dove on top of you, like yeah. Jimmy Snook on Andre yeah. the Giant. Yeah. So yeah, we do wrestling references here at Film Sociology. Uh, but yes, happy birthday, Kirk! Keep at it, big shooter. Uh, a couple other folks of note: uh, Van Williams, best known as, uh, of course, the Green Hornet. And I for- I totally remember. I remember this was a little film geek moment. That he had a cameo as the Green Hornet director in Dragon the Bruce Lee story with Jason Scott Lee from 1993. Wow. Um, but yeah, also was in Surfside 6 and uh, an extra in King Richard II, The Caretakers. Um, you know, a little bit of movies, but not a whole lot. Um, you mentioned, of course, Margaret Witten, who was the nasty owner of the Cleveland Indians in the first major league. So, you know, somewhere in the world, her work is being shown. Uh, you know she's she's being shown on some cable channel somewhere, 
Uh, also appeared in The Man Without a Face, the first film directed by Mel Gibson, Little Monsters, Ironweed, Baby Boom, Secret of My Success, Nine and a Half Weeks, um, Love Child. And uh, so, yeah, that's there. And then um, a couple more. I swear I'm getting to it. Um, I'm sorry. This <laughs> It's a good list this week. It is a good list. And, and this this is also, we didn't get to it last week, Andrew Sachs, best known as Manuel from Faulty Towers. <laughs> And and then another one of those like what else has he done? You know, because we uh, I introduced Emma to Faulty Towers I think last year. It's not the, it's not a hard commitment. It's only like twelve episodes, but still probably for me in the top five of all time great television comedies. Quick to the point, farcical and done. Um, apparently had an uncredited uh, uh, moment earlier this year as the Mantle Clock and Alice Through the Looking Glass, hmm. but that requires. Seeing Alistair the Looking Glass uh, was in Quartet. I actually did you like, like that? I like that much better than the first one. Less Johnny Depp. Yeah. So less being weird. Um, we're old. We're tired of that. Um, Quartet, which was directed by Dustin Hoffman, set in the old folks' home. Uh, the film version of Run for Your Wife, which is being somewhere done somewhere in a community theater as we speak, was in the 1993 version of The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Was the French Revolution Gerard in Mel Brooks's History of the World Part One? Was Hercule Poirot in Revenge of the Pink Panther in 1978? Was in the film version of Are You Being Served 1977? Was the Friar in Robin Hood Jr. 1975? Was Wagner in Hitler: The Last Ten Days 1973? But it's just one of those one of those actors that we like, whether it's stage, screen, television, doesn't matter, doesn't care, just working. And finally, we just heard about this earlier today. This is for you soap opera fans out there. Joseph Mascolo passed away, best known as Stefano from Days of Our Lives. That guy, heavily accented, bearded dude, uh, originally from West Hartford, Connecticut. And I always remember him because he actually appeared in a couple of Burt Reynolds movies, which were which was essential watching in my youth. <laughs> was in Sharky's Machine. Was in the Burt Reynolds film version of Heat which was based on the William Goldman novel and later made it, it with Jason Statham called Wild Card. Also appeared in Jaws 2, Gangster Wars, and Yes, Giorgio. Yes, there's a connection between Burt Reynolds and Luciano Pavarotti when it comes to movies. Also appeared in Hotspur, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, and played a mobster in 1972's Shaft's Big Score. What was the Burt Reynolds movie where he gets his fingers cut off? Is that Sharky's That's Machine? That's Sharky's Machine. Yep, that was... Uh, I always remember it because it opened December 19th, 1981, my 12th birthday. Wow. So I went with my father and my grandmother. Wow. My grandmother counted the number of times there was cursing in the movie. Wow. How the worm turns. People people forget now how huge a star huge. he was in the late 70s and early that 80s. That was his third film in 1981. Yeah. You know, I mean, Archer is doing the best he can to remind people of Burt Reynolds' awesomeness in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, he directed it, and it was before ex- people, I think a lot of people accepted comedy and action films because yeah. there's a few one-liners. I mean, Dirty, I mean, Clint Eastwood started it a little bit, but yeah. Burt turned it up a little bit more. But it was, the the, the story that Reynolds tells was, um, Clint Eastwood, because they were friends at one time, um, Eastwood got the script for Any Which Way But Loose and was nervous about doing it because he wasn't sure if he wanted to make fun of his moneymaker, basically yeah. his tough guy image. And Reynolds said, if you do this, I'll do Dirty Harry Goes to Atlanta. 
<laughs> and when Sharky's machine opened, apparently Clint sent him a note going, "You weren't kidding." <laughs> and it's kind of what it is. You know, it's a tough guy. Burt, Burt Reynolds cop movie, and he hadn't done a cop film since Hustle, which I I think is underrated. Um, but you know, he's surrounded by a crew of that guys: Brian Keith, Charles Durney, Bernie Casey, John Fiedler, Richard Libertini. Uh, Victorio Gassman's the villain. Henry Silva's in it. It introduced the world to Rachel Ward, and we were all the better for that in the early 80s. Really cool jazz soundtrack. Just just an enjoyable couple of hours at the movies. You just have to remember, though, you know, people uh, who have those, like, 30- and 40-year careers, like the Paul Newmans, that is the exception. Most of these actors, you know, they have a little bit of time on the stage, and then they're, yeah. And what's... Fu- like, Eddie Murphy... Uh, you have to like explain to millennials, like, no, no, Eddie Murphy was a huge thing in the eighties, huge, probably the biggest movie star in the world there for a few years. Mr. Curtis, yeah, and now you know, and now like Mr. Church goes, Mr. Church, I'm sorry, Mr. Church, straight yeah. to video, yeah. Um, I think he played in movie theaters for about a minute. Yeah, I saw it. It was it was okay. Wasn't, he was fine. You know, um, is Bruce Bear? I like Bruce Beresford as a director. Lays it on thick a little bit, mm. but that's kind of what you expect. Um, yeah, so it, I, I and what's funny with some of these actors, and I think I did this when Robert Vaughn passed away. It was, you know, actors who are constantly working. We love actors who are constantly working. We may not see their work, but they're constantly working. And I remember, I think looking at Robert Vaughn's career, like the last thing I saw him in was basketball. Yeah, that's nineteen ninety nine, and he was still working up until earlier this year before he died. So yeah. I, I, you know, I think that's really cool. So we like working actors. Yeah, a guy I've uh, I've. Featured a couple times in the Reeling Backward column is uh, Van Johnson, who yeah. um, uh, also notable because yes, they did once have blonde male movie stars, uh, <laughs> and they weren't psychos, and they weren't psychos. Uh, but seriously, he—the famous story about him is he had this terrible car crash, got very badly injured his face, like um, Monty Cliff bad. Yeah, um, and uh, and so, but the result of that was that he, he was did, was not drafted for World War II. And I think in the 1945 poll of exhibitors, he was actually tied Bing Crosby for biggest movie star of the year. So literally had one year as the biggest movie star, but then went on to great character work in the 40s and 50s, the Kane Mutiny, mm-hmm. so many other things, um, and ended up working well into the 70s doing regional dinner theater. Yep. He just loved the craft. So absolutely. All right. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. And, uh, of course, uh, Chris Lloyd is here with me of uh, of the Film Yap fame, and, and you can see him on Indie Style. Um, the man's bringing vests back. It's quite good. It's not just for Ed Norton anymore. Um, but I know you. I, we were talking earlier about an old segment, but, but he does do a reeling back segment, as you talked about. And I'd like you to talk about the, the your latest installment from earlier this week because it is kind of a – there are Quentin Tarantino has mentioned that you know he's going to do I think a couple more films and he wants to retire, and part of the reason I think he's been saying that for about seven or eight he years. He has. Now. I mean, I think I think you know I think Steven Soderbergh is sending him notes going, dude, let it go, because he's also Soderbergh's also been talking about. And one of the things he talked about was he 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 felt bad for our filmmakers that he admired a great deal who were past their prime, and I think. I think he mentioned Otto Preminger was an example. If you look at Otto Preminger's films in the 70s and late 60s, um, they're they're not the best. And I guess he was worried about that. That being said, you talked about this week the last film directed by John Ford. Actually, I think it was the second to last oh, film. Oh, did he, docu- he did it a was documentary. His, it, was his, it was his last, last Sorry. Western. My, my um, apologies. But he only directed one other film, Cheyenne Autumn. And you know, it was something he had actually been trying to get made for years because at that stage in his life and career – he realized that you know this sort of depiction of Native Americans as whooping savages 
that you know he was probably as responsible as anyone else for that that mindset and he wanted to make a story that was centered on them told their story from their perspective and so it really was it's a notable film because it's it's one of the first films to really try and do a revisionist take a look at the uh the native american experience um of course they still have to you know do it with the the kevin costner way where you've got a white guy as the main character um, or is it slightly better? Or white actors as as, as Indians? Yes. Well, actually, the, the the three main Indians are actually all played by uh, Mexican Americans. The most notable being Ricardo Montalban of, yeah. of Fantasy Island fame. Yes. Um, yeah. But you know, excuse me. Two are Mexican Americans, and one is um, Italian American. Okay. Salminio. Well, actually, oh God. <laughs> so so a Native American, and then later an ape. That's yeah. that's great, and of course, really, Ricardo Montalban's from his own country, but that's another. Time that's another. true. Well, yeah, well, he's he was like Anthony Quinn, you know, he could play anything. And he, yeah, just yeah, put him in anything, he's fine. Uh, and so I've been meaning to watch this movie for years, and I was so disappointed by it. It's it's just it's just very it's 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 dry, it's herky jerky. Um, it doesn't really quite know what to do with the Indian characters, um, and it's just kind of a really discombobulated, disorienting movie with too much going on. You know, there's foisted a love story in there that just has no place in the movie well, whatsoever. Well, you have to have a female in the film, so females who go see it. That's that's actually a mindset 50 years ago. Yeah, um, and, and I just, I, I came away very disappointed with the experience. And, I mean, it happens. I mean, um, as they say in train spotting, sometimes you just go get old and you can't hack it anymore. Um, you know, or you can be like Kevin Smith, you know, who had like one or two really good movies in, his, in him and has made his, you know, now, now he's living on as sort of just playing himself on TV and uh, on stage in his talks um but you know here was a guy one of the all-time great um film directors of, uh, of hollywood history uh really of the art form uh, globally yep. and, and it's, you kind, know, it's kind of willie mays with the mets it's kind of michael jordan with the wizards yeah it's not a terrible movie but you, you you're expecting the heat and the dazzle and, and it's not there i mean it's sort of like you know alfred hitchcock another giant yeah who, i mean you know watch marnie watch torn curtain if Topaz. you can yeah, yeah. I, I and i have but anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember watching Marnie for the first time at film school at NYU. Uh-oh. And, you know, I mean, like, we got to, like, this scene where she's, like, doing the gallop, horrible galloping with the whatever was the version of green screen back then. And it looked so bad. And I was just laughing like crazy. And <clears throat> my were you, very were serious, you shunned upon? Uh, my very serious film professors were not happy with me for laughing at Marnie. And I was like, it's terrible. <laughs> like, no, it's... It, 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 it's it, a product of the era. It's a product of its time. It's what happens when you people stress the auteur theory too much, which basically is the the director is the author of a movie, and he or she, you know, uh, the good ones have you know amazing careers where they're always telling the same story in some way or the other, and they can do no wrong. And it's just like you know what, everybody makes a bad movie. Steven Spielberg's made a bad movie. Woody Allen's made bad movies. Martin Scorsese's made bad movies. People make bad movies. It happens. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, that's out there. And also Jimmy Stewart's in it, because I think th- that wasn't his. Oh, yeah. So Jimmy Stewart plays Wyatt Earp. The thing is, it's a very serious, somber movie. And literally right in the middle, before the intermission, you have like this 20-minute Dodge City sequence that's totally comedic with Jimmy Stewart playing uh, Wyatt Earp, and they have all sorts of hijinks and adventure. I mean, Bar it's, fight. It's so misplaced. That while the film was actually in release, still in wide release, they cut it out, 
and sent the movie out back into theaters, removing that part just because people were like, it makes no sense having that. Maybe they put, maybe they took the sequence of Jimmy Stewart and just tagged it onto how the West was won. Yeah, because that's enough. That's also a long film. Okay. Um. Gosh, I I was hoping not to end the show on this, but I'm afraid it's going to probably happen. Um. Boy, I'm going to word this carefully, and uh, I've debated for a long time about the question. Can you separate the artist from the art? And I, I've, I've always been one of those that could. I, and I know some who cannot, and I understand. And, yes, we've, we've, we've mentioned people like Woody Allen and Roman Polanski. And, you know, if you want to go Michael Jackson, go Bill Cosby. But, but, but something that actually – and it was a quote that he had said a few years ago, but it, it just kind of resurfaced about director Bernardo Bertolucci oh, and his film Last Tango in Paris. There's a famous scene with Maria Schneider, who I, I guess was in her late teens. I didn't realize she was that young was and old, bloated, not nearly as bloated as near the end Marlon Brando. But there's a scene with the two of them. The butter scene. And the butter scene. You, the movie, you know what we're talking You know about. what we're talking about. And it's, it, by the way, not a first date film by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> No, I didn't. Not a fifth date film by any stretch of the imagination. Definitely a last date film. Yeah. Um, Whether you want it to be. Well, and and his word got out. um, Bertolucci apparently planned. The the story was was that the the moment with the butter was improvised uh, and that the actors knew it. But apparently Bertolucci admitted that he did not. He and Brando planned this and Maria Schneider knew nothing about it. Yeah. Which is, it's a legitimate thing to do that, you know, like the most famous example being um, Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, where he, Richard Gere snaps the, the necklace uh, holder on her. Right. Which which they didn't know about specifically so they could get that great take. Or William, you Friedkin, don't... William Friedkin smacking the priest in the face, the, the actual priest playing a priest, but... But you, it's, it's different yeah, when you're doing a sex scene. Uh, really different. And, and now... You know, I know I, there's been a few few actors that have gone on Twitter about this film, and I I'm ashamed to say I own the film, and I I I might be giving it away. Wow, really I don't know. I might watch it. I, I well, and that's the other thing is well, look where I live. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's directed plays, and that's just you know, it's it's supposed to be a comfort area to create. And I know there are, I know there are directors who are absolute ogres, and I love the film Whiplash. And anyway, but it was, it's really, it, it just, it, it, it seems like that's a major turnoff. I'm really kind of turned off by that, and I don't know if I can watch the film again. Yeah, um, I'm a, I'm one of those of the opinion. I don't think it's as nearly an important film as people make it out to be. I mean, it's a bold one because it was the early '70s and it was X-rated, and it had Brando and Bertolucci. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, in terms of like the sex and the nudity, it it really seems kind of tame by today's standards. Now, it's 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 discomforting. I mean, of course, the idea. I believe the actress is not alive anymore. No, she right? she's she passed away a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's for me. It's hard to pass final judgment without hearing from her, and we can't. So, well, I think if you if there, um, I believe there's some interviews with her on record about about that scene. So, but did she specifically say like they didn't tell me? I don't know if it's it, that. I don't. I'm not sure if it's that. I mean, honestly, I, I'd have to look it up and see if. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, that, I would say as 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 we kind of joked about earlier, if you want to do research about the subject, it's out there, and I would say. Find interviews with Maria Schneider and see if she, if you know, see if the butter scene is brought up, and and then if if you haven't seen the, even before this, even before we were discussing this, 
it's it is unsettling. Now I know I also I'm, I you know, I, I I joke to Chris. I wouldn't say this and the Night Porter would be a great double feature. Oh, talking about X-rated seventy erotica erotic art films, but um, anyway. If you want to look it up, there it is. And uh, I, I think I'm just going to go downstairs and stare at the L section of the movies and go, don't know. Don't know. And it's probably next to Last House on the left, which is also not a good double feature. So anyway, sorry, gang. So anyway, Chris, um, got about one minute left. Uh, you can go to thefilmyapp.com. You can check him out on Indie Style, which is on wishtv.com and wishtv. What, what's coming up at the Film app besides a little of this and a little of that? Joe's not here. Um. Hopefully reviews of all these great movies we've been talking about. Um, if I can steer people to, to movies uh, that are just coming out there, there's a little film called Christine, which I think we mentioned earlier with Rebecca Hall with, I think, the performance of the year. Wow. Um, okay. And, and one very small film that I don't think got nearly the attention to, to it deserved was um, Everybody Wants Some with two exclamation points in the title. Uh, yes, a Richard Linklater film. That's a, it's, it's not a sequel to Days and Confused. It's on its own. But it's, it's, it's sort of a spiritual inheritor, and I just love, love, love that movie. And it's the sort of movie I usually don't like. There's not much of a story, and it's just people wandering around, getting into encounters. But we knew, these, guy, we knew these guys in college. Well, I not me. I, more like I, I, I glimpsed those guys in college and went, w- wished I was them. While you were dissing Marnie. While I was right. watching lots of movies. All right. Eddie, Chris, thanks a lot. My pleasure. And by the way, I think next, hopefully next week, week and a half, the IFJA award results will be out. So uh, December 19th, they will be uh, announced to the world. My birthday. Great. Uh, go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, Michigan.